You are listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders in Australia. I'm Shauna. I help connect tech companies with top tech talent. And today I'm your host. So we're back. Welcome back to another Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, I'm joined by three senior leaders within the Australian technology industry, where we will be discussing the topic of culture and strategy. We're going to cover areas such as elements that make up great culture, process, architecture and strategy, work-life balance, exec speak and roadmap translation. And that's just a few of many. Um, so we've got an awesome panel here today, guys, and I'm absolutely delighted um, to have you all join me. Um, so I think it'd be really great if we could do a little intro. Um, and I'm looking at Jack, if you want to tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Hi, Shauna. Um, so I'm Jack Cornford. I'm a, a, a long veteran of the software industry. I, I've done a, I did a decade in London working for the banks and then came out to Aussie to, to start a family. Um, worked for a whole variety of places out here. Um, about 15 years ago, I decided that engineering wasn't enough and I wanted to have a crack at the leadership side of it. And after bouncing around for a wee while fighting my feet, um, I've really spent the last sort of decade in, in leadership positions here in Australia. Got a real passion for doing that well. Uh, I think there's two aspects. One's managing things and the other's leading. Um, and leading's a real passion, doing that well and helping people get where they want to do is, is, is one of my uh, real strong interests. Incredible stuff. Thank you, Jack. Um, Karen, tell us a bit about yourself. Thanks, Shauna. And yeah, nice to meet everyone, Jack, Sam, um, and hello to all our listeners. I hope you're having a good morning or afternoon or evening. Um, hi, my name's Khan. Um, just by way of a brief intro, just so you know where I'm coming from. So I I came out of, I mean, Sydney, I came out of high school in, in 98. And um, I went straight into classical violin and software engineering at Sydney Uni. I loved doing that. Struggled to find a job as a musician, so stuck with tech. And I've loved it ever since. Um, and my last three jobs, um, you know, just to give you a sense of my background, was I was at Stash in New York for a couple of years. Loved that. <clears throat> And we went from about 30 engineers up to 150. So that, that was my first experience of a sort of rapid scale up. I cut my teeth on a lot of different problems. I, I was a tech lead. I was sort of pushed into engineer management twice and failed that dismally, learned a bunch of lessons. Um, and then tried a third time with a really great mentor. Um, so I learned a lot about working in tech in, in New York and London, um, you know, and then um, my I became a father, moved back to Sydney, um, joined Atlassian, loved that, and now um, I'm at a company called Homein, and um, we, we're a crew of about 30 engineers in a scale-up property tech, law tech, and fintech company that help people uh, through the process of buying a house uh, or selling a house with a, a digital-first app experience, um, and um, maybe handing this off to Sam I was looking at your LinkedIn profiles and you say you and I both have experience at Redify I loved working at Redify back in 2014 um, as a senior engineer and also as a tech lead um, yeah so interesting we have that shared background thank you another amazing story Karen it's great to have you as well um, and like you said yeah Sam last but absolutely not least tell us a bit about yourself 
In Hyvern, yep. Someone named uh, Sam Piper. Um, <laughs> I've worked as a software developer, architect, and consultant, uh, specializing in architecting and building applications uh, on .NET and other Microsoft and web technologies for over 23 years now. Um, and I'm recently focusing more on the Azure platform and digital transformation. So bringing, bringing applications to the cloud and modernizing and raising the maturity level of organizations that are building these applications. Um, I've previously worked for Redify, uh, which, and then uh, that became part of Telstra Purple. And I worked with uh, Telstra Purple for several years. Um, then more recently, I was working uh, at MIQ Digital, uh, which was recently acquired by Brennan IT. Um, that was working solely as a lead architect on the Voyager program for secure parking, which was their enormous digital transformation journey, shall we say. Um, and that's actually now live across 100 car parks in Australia and soon uh, New Zealand as well. Um, so anytime you park in a secure parking car park and use the entry and exit kiosks and online apps and everything, you'll be using the systems I've helped to build over the last two years. So it's really great to see, see my work out in the world now. I've uh, just recently joined Arinco as an application innovation consultant, um, and I hope to help many more businesses on their digital transformation journeys and they're leveraging uh, my experience um, delivering large programs of work. Um, and what's interesting is that I, I have a similar story to Khan. I just started, uh, have a degree in uh, composition and music theory, of all things. And uh, went, basically went yeah. into tech because I couldn't find a job as a musician or <laughs> <of> composer. <laughs> um, so, wow, that's amazing. Uh, it's yeah, it's it's, uh, it's amazing how many musicians um, are in text for, for that reason. Like we're still passionate about our music, and I like I still sing uh, a lot with the City Chamber Choir, and I do a lot of musical things where I can. But um, uh, tech has become a great a great industry for uh, challenging me and you know utilizing my creativity without um, you know struggling to <laughs> make ends meet, which is you know. It, the the main the main challenge I faced when I came out of university was okay what am I going to do first? Um, so I'm glad I fell into tech. I really enjoyed it. So yeah, that's me in a nutshell. That's a flower, isn't it? we should start a tech choir in Sydney with just all of a whole bunch of software engineers singing. I, I just think it's a good idea. Or, or, or a I actually orchestra. know quite a few as well. That's where I'm tech. There's okay, one yeah. to drop in. Hey, actually, I was a musician. No, I'm sorry, I wasn't. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was just going to ask that, Jack. Um, no, this is brilliant. Actually, now that you say it, a lot of engineers I work with over the years have, yeah, um, have been musicians or playing instruments or being in choirs. So um, it seems to be a bit of a trend. All right. You could be having something there, guys. <laughs> sorry. Um, I'm new wall to wall. I wanted to be an astrophysicist before I fell into software. So. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that was brilliant. Um, well, guys, this is, this is an incredible intro. And like I said, you've got quite um, remarkable backgrounds and um, amazing journeys. And I'm so excited to kind of get your opinions um, on this really important topic of culture and strategy. Um, I definitely think it's something that is always brought up with either a company that is building a team or building a product or, you know, building for scale. Culture and strategy is sort of the backbone um, of it all. 
Um, so I know um, you've all got some incredible points that you've brought to the table today. So I'd hope we get through it all. Um, so I'm just looking at the first one, which um, Jack, um, you were talking about pretty much there's sort of three key ingredients um, to create this, um, you know, a good culture and strategy. Do you want to yeah. tell me a little bit about what resonates with you when you think about culture and strategy and, and what those three things are? We'll kick it off there. Yeah, I guess. I mean, so a lot of the roles that I've taken on um, and been hired to do is to go in somewhere and fix stuff. And usually what you're being asked to fix is is a strategic issue. It's the fact that, you know, development velocity is slowing down, reliability is getting worse, um, the quality of the software is generally degrading and so forth. And it's often you're brought in with an architectural remit to work out where should we go and how should we fix it. And so that side of the job, for, you know, if you've got the experience and we've done it before, it's usually reasonably obvious as to where you should go. The trick is, how do you get there? And I guess my general thesis on this is that you kind of can't get there without the other two elements. You know, you work out, hey, here's our North Star. This is where we need to be in terms of the architecture that we need, the reliability strategy that we need, the, the software development pipeline and all the other good things that we're going to talk about a little bit later on. These are the things that you definitely need that make up a good software strategy for the business, for the organization you're with. But but my, my general proposition is you, you can't get there without actually having a good process as how you're going to get there. So understanding what a really good build pipeline looks like, what really good testing looks like, so you can assure the quality of what you're doing and, and make sure you're effective in how you're actually building it. And without good source code control and, and selecting the right tools for the, for the job, you're in trouble. You're not going to be able to deliver that aspirational architecture. But even more fundamental to that, you can't build great software without great people, right? And great people don't want to work for crappy places. They don't want to work somewhere where it isn't fun, where they're not treated with respect, where they don't have a good, healthy work-life balance where they're not being allowed to grow, where you're not giving them opportunities to stretch themselves and, and learn and go into new spaces. And so for me, I think that's the that's the ultimate challenge that engineering leaders all over the place need to rise to, is you can't just go in and go, oh, I'm going to build a great place to work and look after my people and coach them. You can't just go in and go, I'm going to sort out the SDLC pipeline and process and make that great. And you can't do the architecture and have a great strategy in isolation you kind of have to do all three at once. Because if you do the architecture and processes, but don't look after your people, you don't get the great people who, who you need to execute on that great architecture. And if you build a great place to work, but you don't have a North Star, you're, you're really smart people get bored and they're like, yeah, no, I'm going to go somewhere more challenging and interesting where there is that North Star and that strategy that we're working towards. And if you're missing the process piece in the middle, everybody gets frustrated because it's like, we're all working away and we're smart. We know where we want to go, but we're not getting there effectively. And so the real challenge is, you know, good leadership is doing all three of those things at the same time and lifting the bar across all three. Um, and I guess there's a bit where That's you talk brilliant. about where do you start and, and so forth. But, but without that great culture and the place that people want to work, where they're collaborating and sharing and talking with each other, without those sorts of elements, you, you're really on a hiding to nothing. Um, I've been lucky where I've worked at places where, where that stuff's sort of a given. You know, the, the couple of years I did at Google, they're really good at looking after their people. You know, the, the environment you're in, the opportunities you're given to learn, it, it's, it's a fire hose of learning that they offer you. It's quite incredible how many different internal courses and opportunities to try new things and so on come at you. You actually end up 
it can be quite intimidating the number of learning opportunities that it that it's thrown at you. Um, and, and so they have no problem attracting really great talent, which means when it comes time to do great architecture, you know, you have those fundamental building blocks in there. You, you touched brilliant. on before, Khan, I think about, about Atlassian and about enjoying your time there. I have the impression they're another one of those organisations that's got that sort of good people culture. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and they've, they've been able to do that as well as scale, which is a challenge when you get to enterprise things become you know a bigger problem with with these kinds of things but yeah right on jack yeah yeah brilliant the other thing i know jack you you mentioned under that and i think we'd all kind of maybe we'll get into this together as well as understanding what makes a great culture and you said respect and empathy for each other how does that work in different companies and um like that different different stages of scale and different stages of enterprise um how do you ensure that happens in your teams? Yeah, well, it's, it's an interesting one. I mean, some of that respect for the individual and empathy for each other is a lot easier in a yeah. smaller company. When you kind of know yes. everybody. And in a small company, there's a piece there where you shorten the distance between, you know, the developers and the architects and the designers working in the back end and the end customer. Because when you're in a startup, you're usually talking to the customer directly and there aren't layers between you. And it's very yeah. easy to advise with the people because you're talking to them every day. Maintaining that as you get to a larger company, I think, is quite challenging, right? And there's sort of several phases companies go through as they get to the point where, you know, past the point where you know everybody in the company, you know, somewhere around yeah. 100 to 200, and you start bumping into people in the corridor, and you don't know who they are, <laughs> and, and you yeah. don't actually find to get to know them all and understand their stories. Um, and I think that's challenging. Companies that do this well sure at the big, I think, they modularize a wee bit. And you have your your clumps of people with a shared mission and vision within that organization that still all know each other and a unified team and tribe within that larger whole that, that do it and have that that care for each other that I, I think is critical, right? That, that empathy of going, yeah. actually, I care about the outcomes for my workmates, for the people working for me. Um, and, and indeed for the customers as well. But those are really important attributes. Without without that, mm-hmm. you're likely to make decisions that aren't going to lead to a great gelled team that's working together um, if, if they don't mm-hmm. actually genuinely care about each other a bit and care about shared outcomes. Um, and, and obviously respect is a fundamental thing. You know, the, uh, I, 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 was, I did my time working front office in the 90s for investment banks and you saw some pretty toxic behaviors in some of those places and I, I was lucky that place where i was at merrill's and london merrill lynch they had a pretty good thing they had you know that that the, the first one of their corporate values was respect for the individual and and i saw good examples of them standing by that i saw some i had examples where pretty senior people had to get in and apologize to junior people that abused and oh very good and, and that compared oh. to some of the other other banks where it was a bit wild west in those times, um, it, it was kind of good. And that's something that stuck with me. That you know, respect for the individual. That, that everybody's a person. Everybody's got the right to be heard, to to not be spoken down to, to not be abused. Um, you know, those those are fundamentals. And you know, I think this ties in really, really well. Before we get on to the other two elements, um, Sam, your 
um, piece that you brought to the table today is um, very much about work-life balance. Um, you know, you've got some great points there and what you sort of see as culture and strategy. Um, tell us a bit about what you're sort of seeing is sort of your ideal of culture and strategy. Um, and then, yeah, around the people piece of work-life balance. What's your overall thought on that? Sure. Um, well, I think for me, I see culture as essentially it's a set of shared values and processes that everyone in the culture, be it a company or a startup, it doesn't really, or even just a team. Um, but yeah. I, I've, ultimately, it's organizational level uh, as a set of shared values and, and processes that everyone is responsible to work together and, and realize and uphold. Um, mm-hmm. So you have to have you have to have core values, uh, and those core values require collective agreements and engagement. Um, and then your strategy is how you achieve that culture and maintain that culture. So you know, strategy is essentially planning pathways and milestones and goals. You know, those so that you can actually tell people, okay, this is where we want to get to. How how do we get there? Because how do we? Where are we right now? Um, if, and and if, if you can't materialize your journey, then you can't achieve a culture. You can't achieve uh, a core value. Um, and if, I guess for me, the, the, the key, well, one of the key core values that uh, I think every organization needs to work on is, is work-life balance. Um, you know, I, I define work-life balance as just, you know, the enshrined expectation that people will work a standard set of hours each week uh, and that they will have flexibility in those working hours, whether it be working from home or in the office or, you know, flexibility in what times of the day they work to be able to manage their personal life lifestyle as well. Um, you know, some examples are, you know, if you've got kids, being able to uh, pick your kids up or even look after, look after them at home if they're sick. Um, yeah. renovations or receiving deliveries at home or if you have an illness or disability there's there's, there's so many reasons why we need flexibility yeah. and and it comes know, back I, to I, individuals I, and respect the individual um really yes, does exactly. doesn't it yeah exactly and if you're going to um, have that as a value it's this is an important factor as well Good. exactly you can you can have respect for people but at the same time you can not think about work-life balance and um, you know, I've worked with, I've worked in places where it was very respectful and people treated each other very well, but, but there were some, you know, strange ideas around yeah. when people should be working or how much people should be working. Um, yeah. and you know, for me, if you don't have work life, good work life balance, which is truly enshrined in the core values of the organization, um, mm. Uh, it just kind of it's a kind of a sliding scale or a broken what i call broken window syndrome you know people start to get stressed out yeah. they start to be working too much they get exhausted their quality of life degrades um both at home and at work and that in turn leads to degraded company productivity morale yeah. goes down uh affects the reputation of the business there's just there's so many negative effects that that accumulate from from poor work-life balance from that it's amazing. It's, it's such an asset to a company when you do this stuff well and you get so many benefits. COVID taught us so yeah. much. I, when COVID came along, I had one of my team at class who was due to go on maternity leave in, in I think, May or June or something when, you know, uh, no, they were due to go earlier 
And then we started working from home and uh, she called me up and said, actually, Jack, now that we're working from home, I, I don't want to go on leave yet. Um, you know, I, if we're working from home, I can work much longer. It's easy. It's no problem. Yeah. I don't commute. And I was like, great, fine. And, I, you know, how stupid do we have to be not to have that happening before COVID made us do it? Right? Yeah. She, she was yeah. a great of course stuff, our hand. <laughs> we, we could have had more yeah. of her time. And, and so on. If we'd just been smart enough to be flexible, hey, work from home. And, and COVID yeah. forced us to learn that lesson that our teams could be sometimes more productive working from home than they than they were when we made them drag them into the office. Yeah, yeah, it's just these little small changes, isn't it? Um, it's amazing. Karen, what do you want to add to that to that first yeah. piece? <laughs> that's that's so. These are great points. Um, you know, thank you, Jack and Sam. I culture and values and sustainable collaboration and work-life balance and COVID. Um, I was just making some notes to share a couple of quick points. One of them is, um, you know, it's nice to meet you. One thing I'm passionate about is improving how we transition our engineers and people from the role of engineer into a tech lead. And then mm. from there into a manager of teams and then into the role of a director or a CTO and I think you know what what's going on there is we're adjusting our tactical and strategic thinking so for example how do you manage your time yeah I, one key one big learning I, I found was that that the transition through those roles is a little bit like a entire career reset where the yeah. core skills and the core competencies they're, they're not a natural evolution. And and so I just, I thought I'd share that as like an interesting point. But moving on to another one here is that one thing I've really enjoyed doing, sort of running the engineering manager meetup in Sydney and other groups and, and, and being part of a large group of manager, people managers in New York in tech was this idea of like, I actually really enjoy people hitting me up on LinkedIn with legit questions about what happened at at work today and what would I do or how how do we get around that? Yeah, um, brilliant. So anyone who's listening to this podcast, please find <laughs> me on LinkedIn and hit me up with a question like, yo, I was just made an engineering manager. What the hell am I supposed to be doing with my job now? How is it the same or different? <laughs> So that, that was yeah. like, that, and I think that's kind of an interesting like angle, which is how do we tear up? How do we build a community of people who are in the same space, who've solved the same problem over and over before? And I think the key there is if you're partnering up with players in the community, find people who are at your scale. So if you're in a crew, like a startup, zero to 10. Brilliant. Players, you know, find other players who are doing that. Because those the, the the language terminology and experience with that is very different to going from ten to a hundred in engineers, and then again, a hundred to a thousand engineers is a completely different skill set. And I think partnering yes. up in that space, find people who you can who you can hang out with who are outside of your work, and because you're all saving the solving the same problems. And, yeah. And um, so you can you can share that. The other the other two points I want to sneak in here. Um, <laughs> just so you know, our audience can have a sense of who I am. Is I'm very passionate about some themes like speaking truth to power, being sensitive to the role of authority in the workplace, and how you can use that 
establishing transparency and establishing a comfort with trying new things, making mistakes, learning and growing. These are not intuitive. If you've just come out of writing a lot of code, you're probably not going to have some really obvious answers to establishing that space. And and the last point, you know, this all comes back to strategy and culture, but the the last point I just noted out here is providing stability. You know, instability results in cortisol, you know, and cortisol results in bad systems design. So providing stability within your direction, enabling deeper focus and flow so that your crew can build an awesome product that your customers are going to love. These, these, I've added these points here. That's all I've got. I mean, we can go into the detail here, but this is this is how I measure my That's success brilliant. in my role. Can I nail that? Yeah. And, and I and and how am I tracking? <clears throat> That's awesome. And I think your point, Kane, is absolutely incredible because you made a point um, in my notes as well. Here is that like people don't leave companies; they leave leaders, and it definitely pulls it back into like the culture. Um, the respect for people, um, creating work-life balance and, you know, understanding the values that really drive a great um, culture. And it's definitely down to the person that's leading it. So um, by all means, absolutely. Yeah. Like, hit the I nail mean, on the head just for sure. That, that quote, there's a famous quote there, which is people don't leave um, bad companies. They leave bad managers. And I yeah. imagine a lot of our, the people who listen to this podcast <laughs> can remember a time they had a manager who wasn't great at their job and maybe you currently have a manager who you don't respect or admire or want to follow. And I think that the the point here is that everyone's doing the best they can with what they have. And, you know, often it's the case that leadership are not coached, trained and supported enough to be able to do their job. So there's all these gaps and the fallout of of a bad manager is a whole team will struggle to perform. And so that's 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 something I'm really passionate about, which is really getting behind managers to help them learn from the stakes of the past and be the best manager they can be in the space of engineering, building, architecture, one-on-ones, culture, strategy, et cetera. Yeah. Brilliant. And that actually, I'd like to stay on your point there as well, Karen. It pulls us into, as well, Jack and Sam, into sort of, we all mentioned the word process that gets us onto strategy. Um, Jack, you were talking about elements of a good process, um, effective prioritization, automate and streamline. Tell us a bit about that and the substance behind that. And yeah, I'd like to get everyone else's um, ideas around it. Yeah. Karen, that was excellent. I think, you know, if we kind of look at the whole, you know, the software development pipeline end to end, as somebody goes, hey, there's a yeah. problem that we can solve. That's the that's the first thing or that we need software to solve. And at the end of it, you're delivering something that does that job and does it reliably. And and the pipeline between that and how good you are and effective you are at that um, is a key attribute to how successful you're going to be, whether you can do it fast, slow, reliably, et cetera, et cetera, and how much of a pain in the backside it is to do it. And so, you know, the most obvious answer is to get really good automation in that process. Don't do things manually that can be automated. And so things like, you know, automated testing, automated development and deployment pipelines are some of the stuff that Sam's probably an expert in and can talk to better than I can. Yeah, um, I think Those are gold, right? Because your people aren't wasting their time doing the same damn thing all the time. 
And we all know when you're dealing with software and technology, you know, things that are repeatable and you can prove that they're repeatable and, and, and so on are, are just gold. So, you know, automated testing is one of the great undiscovered resources, it feels like. So many places are still having people manually testing stuff and it's, it's why. Humans get really yeah. bored with stuff really quickly and it's arduous. If you code it, you know, <laughs> you, you can run it a million times. The number of times I've had my backside saved by automated testing covering use cases um, and yeah. so on. So it's, that, that's part of it. You touched on prioritization as well. And one of the truths, you know, I, I, I've been asked, we've all been asked so many times you get, can you build this? Yes. Right? <laughs> the other, yes. You can build anything with software, right? The languages we're working with are Turing complete. That literally means that you can build any algorithm you want to do anything in the universe if you have enough time and enough testers and all the rest of it. The question is how long it takes. And so pretty much all the time, you're constantly making this evaluation. The business should be, and, and those of us who are engineering managers get dragged into that conversation and have a, a very important role to do it, to decide if the value that that solution is going to provide is worth the investment of what it's going to cost to get there, right? And so understanding that and working through that is really important. If you go too far, though, and you try and get a precise measure of how much value there is or how much cost it's going to be you're going to spend all your time in analysis paralysis and trying to you know design things and all the rest of it and so there's a neat thing here which happened with the agile revolutions that came through 20 years ago and the simple art of forming a good backlog i have yet to see that surpassed a good agile backlog where there's somebody who knows the business (laughs) value and just puts it in order and then you go to the scrum team you go t-shirt size this for me and they're like oh we don't know because we have to answer this and you're like okay Run a quick spike, work out how big that is, and then feed that back in. And the most important bit that I love about a a backlog is the stack rank. Just put it in order. Tell me which thing we fix first. And once we've fixed that, tell me what's next. And once we fix that, (laughs) tell me what's next. It's such an easy way to interface with your engineering team. It makes it easy and clear for the engineers. And, And as a business, you're free to reorder the list as much as you want. Um, and a good agile scrum master and product owner between the two of them will be able to do burn downs and give forecasts of how long the whole thing's going to take. But, you know, it gives you that flexibility to chop and change things and makes it really clear. So that's brilliant. a combination of those sorts of good processes for working out what's the most valuable thing to do and having that going first, followed by the next bit, followed by the next bit and, and sushi slicing yeah. your value up. So you're delivering incremental value every cycle. Um, those are the things that successful teams are doing. The vast majority of successful teams are doing these days. And and if you're not, try it and and, and learn how to do it well. Learn how to stack rank yeah. your business value and, and so on. Um, get better at it because when teams get really good at this, the value just keeps flowing out of the out of the machine really really well. We we should awesome. talk about automating the pipeline bit because there's huge value there. Definitely. Absolutely, we can get into that. I know Sam, like it does pulls really nicely in because Jack, this is so important that you have the process. Um, and then you're talking about things like automation testing, and you're talking about like pipelines and CI/CD and that type of thing. What comes with that then is, you know, happy team and a team that is adding value and they're high performing. But Sam, you want to talk about where the resources that you need behind that and how important it is that the business recognizes the types of you know people you need around to support that process um how important is that 
Uh, absolutely, it's critical because uh, the biggest the biggest problem that I've seen on many of the programs I've and projects I've worked on is uh, that there aren't enough of the right types of people to facilitate the end-to-end process of delivering software. Um, you know, a, a lack in one area can lead to significant um, inefficiencies, things slow down, or, you know, people have to take on more responsibility than they're really comfortable with uh, and really have experience in. So, so for me, for example, on a standard software um, delivery project, um, obviously you need, you need developers, obviously that cover the range of technologies that you want to work with. Um, you need leadership, so you need an architect, you need uh, or tech lead, you need someone who is able to help and enable the entire development team. That's also critical. You know, you can't just uh, you can't just have developers working as silos. They must they must be integrated and they must have be led towards a common goal. Because I'm sure you've heard the expression um, trying to get developers to agree on things is like herding cats, and that you know <laughs> that's a guiding. That's been a guiding principle for me. You must have a clear chain of command and a way of democratically resolving, uh, you know, technical uh, arguments and design questions and things. Uh, so that you, you you want to be able to bring in the experience of the team, but you must have a clear chain of command um, so that uh, you can't get stalemates or unresolvable arguments. Um, and that's that's really even just for the developer side, but. You need the complement of roles to balance out the development activities. And I completely agree with Jack that, you know, you need to have as much automated testing as you can. Um, you know, so in technical terms, that's, you know, unit and integration testing that the developers manage so that all of the code they write uh, is covered and can be executed rapidly on things like continuous builds, deployments to environments, all that kinds of thing. That's, that's very much in developer developer territory but as systems get more complex and we get you know into end scenarios you know and uis and different apis third-party applications we do need we need testers you know we need a strong qa function in any project that the developers aren't responsible for because um you know developers are generally poor testers in my experience and asking a developer to also be a tester is a recipe for failure because the developer is trying to do too many things and you know it, it, it puts stress onto the development team to try and uh, manage the quality of software as well it really is a separate function in my my perspective um, and it needs to be balanced with the number of developers you have you can't just have one tester and 30 engineers it just it just doesn't work so you have yeah. to be thinking about balancing that and you also need the other support roles you know you need you need analysts you need subject matter experts you need stakeholders you need um, you know, people who like agile, you know, scrum masters or um, co- agile coaches. You know, there's the whole range of roles that need to have some coverage. Um, and when you've got the right balance, so you've got your team's right sized, you've got enough people to to manage the work. Uh, the team can be efficient, um, so that where things can't be automated or where you can't, you don't have the time maybe to build the automation you'd like. You've got the people to manage that and make sure that it's not, you know, it's not falling by the wayside. Um, because you know, I'm a big uh, believer in continuous delivery, which is the ability to accelerate delivery through constant improvement. So things like um, automation of testing, automation of builds, automation of deployment, automation of infrastructure, 
pretty much everything that you can automate, you automate. Um, and you do that using processes that's, that are transparent and anyone can see, you know, with the right training can see what's going on. So there's no eliminating single person risk as well. So that you're not reliant on single individuals to keep things going. And that, that all leads towards good work-life balance. When you have the right size teams, people have got a, the right amount of work they're not being overloaded with work because they don't have enough people. That's just, you know, the key. Yeah, under-resourcing is one of the biggest, uh, quickest ways to destroy work-life balance in a program. Absolutely. Um, in my experience. That's really insightful. So good. I've, I've actually been speaking to a lot of companies now that are um, creating these platform engineering teams that are actual, a whole other team that sits to side and supports the application development teams. Um, and, you know, companies that are, um, you know, spending, you know, allocating budget to those teams, like, they just seem to have such a happy culture and incredible outputs. Um, I did a podcast recently on it and it was just, it made absolute complete sense. And it sounds like, Sam, it would definitely support what you're saying. Um, but you know what it is, I think, guys, and I think, Kane, take car and apologies, it takes it into your next point, which is, um, I believe, in line with this, is like exec speak and road map translation. So in other words, that, you all have you all know exactly how to build amazing software the resources that you need as as things scale out add more resources and you know different skill sets but it's all about the leadership teams like they need to all be aligned right and they need to understand the roadmap and how that shifts but tell us a bit about what you mean by that exec speak and roadmap translation yeah thanks Shona. this this is a fascinating conversation and um, sam and jack i <laughs> I can't Brilliant. wait to back up into the some of the the, the comment the thoughts you had about QA, and I, I actually hope to. But but um, to get to your point there, Shauna, um, yeah, exec speak. I mean, I think the assumption here is no one's listening. Leadership leadership is saying the same thing seven times. That's a famous quote. I can't recall where it's from. And when you say it seven times, it's not just say it seven times one after another. It is deliver the message in a new way seven times and then test your delivery. So, for example, this quarter, yes, we're all going to care exactly. about listing NPS by 5%. That is exec speak. No one cares. That's, that's, the job <laughs> here is not to say that. Uh, nope. Okay, first up, 80% of your organization don't know what NPS stands for. So that's the yep. first question. Do a presentation and then go have find a way to test your delivery, which is to say, um, ask your team what are our, what are our OKRs for this quarter after you've delivered it, and and I, I think it's a little bit like test driven development, but for people management, which is check if your speak sounds exactly and it's irrelevant. Um, I mean, the, the the big challenge I've been seeing with engineering management is the problem of message getting lost in translation, which is to say, oh, that's cool, Khan. You know, you're the CTO. You want us to, you know, reduce API response time by blah. Okay. Meanwhile, I'm busy. I'm working on something. Thank you for your time. Bye. Instead, there is a whole machinery underneath, you know, leadership that needs to work together to translate that into meaningful goals and um i i think the 
another key point here, you know, process has been mentioned a couple of times. I think we need to be role models. You know, we need to be on time. We, and what I mean by that is, you know, if I want my engineers to, let's say, set a sprint goal and deliver it on time, let's say in their sprint, I need to deliver, I need to do a similar thing in my sprints, which are something like get the OKRs refined, drafted, kicked up on time. Like maybe two weeks before the quarter, you know, explain what the strategy is. You know, the strategy is we do OKR drafting um, a month before the quarter. Okay, we've done that. We published it. We're now seeking feedback on our organizational OKRs. Um, yeah, get be yeah be on time with that. And then again, the feedback process needs to run for let's say two weeks. This is all about engaging the teams um, and making sure that our organizational strategy has sticks to a process that is on time and that people feel like they're able to respond to it and adjust in line with let's say their sprints and their roadmaps i think it's like there's a line from the top which is a company okr and it it needs to go through seven points before it can get to a ticket that an engineer is going to build in let's say four hours and anything that gets broken in that log translation in in the case where we're in this problem of exec speak going nowhere um i I do see that as a common problem i i want to sneak in another quick one here i know we're running out of time but go for it even startups and scale-ups i've seen five organizations decommission the role of qa and this is a big debate um, I imagine that the, 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 even the three of us can see Jack over the It's insanity. Yeah. That's in all I've got to say about that. Yeah. So, in, in terms of high set incidences and number of bugs tracked, I've seen in all cases, decommissioning the role QA has fixed those. And the reason why it fixes it is because it's the fastest way to make it an engineering problem. And my underlying principle here, and by the way, this only works at startup and scale up. It doesn't work at an organization like, uh, you know, a major bank or a major telco. But what I would say here is that if you can't test, ain't no way you can build software. Ain't no way you can write a line of code and tell me you can't test. <laughs> if, if you're cooking dinner <laughs> and you can't, and you're telling me you can't check it tastes good, <laughs> then ain't no way you're cooking dinner. For me. Thank you very much. But, and also, what, what, I, what I'm getting at here is a sense of empowerment because what I've seen more often is the case that engineers build stuff, they throw it over the fence to the tester and the tester says, I'm busy and their release is blocked in a week. And now we're in, we're, we're moving away from daily releases to monthly releases because of roles and responsibilities. But anyway, I, I really want to get together and have a beer and debate this and talk about in what scenarios scale up enterprise, et cetera, and also what business debates, high complex, low complexity, does the role um, QA work? And for somehow QA maps the strategy so deeply and culture that, and it's so high stakes. Um, anyway, I, I feel like we're running out of time, so I'm just going to move on to something else. It's interesting. No, that's what it's all about. Don't worry, keep going, guys. There's a whole hope in there. And, and we're definitely going to have to have that beer and have a deeper conversation because Google's pretty famous. <laughs> if you look through what they hire, they hire very, very few people for QA. And that's about automating that QA process and how much they're able to automate and how much effective use 
you know, they make of canary releases and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, you know, at first glance, when I was learning about how Google did things, I was like, oh my God, this is testing in production. Um, they've just gotten pretty good at testing their stuff in production. So yeah, yeah it's, it's a good conversation. I did want to just note, you were talking about that exec speak and that translation. And I think this is one of the yeah. things where engineering managers are really, really important. There's a key role there where you've come from being an engineer and, and you know the craft and you know what's going on down there. And suddenly you're put in a role and it particularly happens at the CTO boundary when you're a startup or scale up, where you're also talking to customers and the board and stakeholders and senior management. And you've got that in, you know, the, the conversation about NPS and so on. And you have this really important job to translate, to have those conversations flow healthily back and forth. And for me, it comes down to one key word, which is why. Why is that important? And having your people understand why that's important. Not only that top level, but right down those seven hops down you talked about. You know, oh, I'm Jack, I'm a lowly engineer, and I'm writing a unit test for this piece of software. Why? There's a, there's a guy, Bill Rupp, I work for over in the States, who's, who's in, the, in the food industry over there. And he had this thing that I, a story told about how everybody in their food processing plant, you go up to them and they go, who, what do you do and why does it matter? And they'd be able to tell you. And, and I think that's a really great aspect of culture. What are you doing? I'm doing this. Why? Why are you doing it? Well, because this happens and, and it means this to my customers. Somewhere down the line, there's a customer and me working on this means that the system won't go down for them right when they need it. All right. You know, I'm working on unit tests here and the effect of this unit test is when someone turns up to the barrier and scans their credit card, they're going to be led into the parking building because I tested it properly, right? Because we can all, we've all been there. You turn up the barrier and it won't let you in or out of the car. Oh my God, it's a nightmare. It's so stressful. It's horrible. And, and <laughs> you know, that why and the connection back to the mission that the company's doing, it's actually our job at that engineering crux point where you understand the engineers Absolutely. and what they're doing. And you understand the overall business. And you've got to be asking, why are we doing that? What's the real reason? And why are you doing this piece of code here? How does it tie back to the mission? And that translation of it's it, it's, it's, it's key. It's key. It definitely yeah. is. Uh, it, you, can, you can for sure see what it's basic, can't you? No, I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead, Sam. <laughs> well, I was, I was just going to say that's one of the key principles, I guess you could summarize as saying is, you know, automation enables acceleration. You cannot yeah. accelerate delivery and therefore reduce pressure on a team without the automation component. And that could be all kinds of things, but it's basically how do you speed up? And the only way you can speed up is by being able to do the same thing faster and faster and faster every time. You, you use the word accelerate. Have you guys read the book Accelerate? Jesus Humble and, and on all that lot? That's a good book. The principles of accelerating your SDLC and the automation in there, it really talks a lot about the whys and It'll help you with your exec speak, selling it to your non-technical people as to why you should automate the process and mm. help with that. That's, that's, so one of the key challenges is like, yeah, just, ta just taking something like unit testing and budgeting and the time taken to write tests and building that into the development timeline. So many good businesses or projects I've worked on see unit testing as like uh, an add-on or nice to have yeah so it's kind of like you know right when you come up with estimates i do a lot of estimations i always include unit testing in my estimations so you know it's part of the code it's not an additional thing that you could cut out if it was too many hours um yeah. so that you're actually giving reasonable time estimates that say i'm going to build feature x 
and it's going to include writing the tests to automate the you know you know the management of that feature um, rather than just going it's going to take this time to build feature x and this many hours to write the tests for it just don't don't break it down it's always just a unit you know it's always atomic and then that way you're building quality in from the start and not trying to add it on later because you you will not come back to code and write unit tests once once the project is done it just doesn't happen it has to be done at the time the code's written and that's that's like a fundamental principle that i adhere to example any of the listeners engineers and they haven't actually tried doing test driven development try it for god's sake it's actually absolutely once you actually try and use it's like oh oh this is actually pretty (laughs) no go back (laughs) this is so cool guys um you know what i think oh sorry karen go for it (laughs) well there's so much here and i and i think there's also two kind of conversations going on here one of them is like you know yeah you know the challenges of the craft and 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 you know, engineers being able to, you know, fully understand the value of TDD, you know, and, and then there's another conversation that, you know, is is about the role of leadership and strain in the space of strategy and culture. And I just had a yeah. quick notes here, which is like, one of the things I'm often aware of is we as leaders are white houses. So we are read, read, you know, the, you, you know, Jack, you mentioned the why. And so like, let's go to the very end. The success looks like teams getting together at the end of a milestone to actually high five one another, look each other in the eye, shed a tear, and be very happy that they achieved something that they care about. And you know, typically, yeah, you can have that. The other, the other extreme is a team get through a major breakthrough, and they don't even know they did, and they just go home and they. Don't even because really they know the why get is excited it excited about like the yeah. fact that they just launched it, they just landed on the moon because they were just detail. And so, if we reverse yeah. back out of that problem, I, you know, I, I think the challenge is for leaders, CTOs, and CEOs to anytime they learn something, balance these two things that are at odds. One of them is re- radiate their awareness as quickly as possible. Versus reduce disruption and distraction you know so don't dm everyone in the company the fact that you just got a call from a customer who's like upset but meanwhile find a way for that knowledge to flow through your organization so that the teams then know why this thing is becoming an urgency and so anyway, there's a lot there that i wanted to kind of just put down and maybe we come back to another call but the other thing the other That's thing amazing. here is that some things are great to be automated but one thing that doesn't get automated is weekly one-on-ones where you start with the question how would you score this week out of 10 in terms of job satisfaction and everybody scores that and you have a real-time mood chart and you now can test how you're going you now can test the delivery of a message like fyi we decommissioned the overall qa which by the way you will see a drop and then you will see it recover and then go beyond, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, again, and it's like there's stuff to automate. But then I think the key point here is that the brains of our people relies on our ability to show that we care. And the caring is, is, is a one-on-one conversation. It is how are you? 
How satisfied are you with your job? What are you looking for next in your career beyond where you are now, like beyond this organization? Um, and so on. And I think that that 25 minutes a week, finding a way to make that meeting, that 25 minutes one-on-one with your manager, finding a way to make that meeting the most valuable 25 minutes of the week is the role of the manager. And if they, if, if you can nail that, everything else, like, in my view, sorts itself out. Um, anyway, that's a few notes from me. <clears throat> that's brilliant. And I think it is, like you said, there's a lot of different kind of um, conversation points we're talking about. But at the end of the day, and I feel like there's a couple of other podcasts, the word why resonates as like the most, as like, you know, the tip of the iceberg and then what happens underneath but we all need to keep looking at you know what it is that we're actually building and, and that they understand the why and I think Karen yeah you when you speak about you know engineers high five at the end of their sprint because they knew what they were there to deliver and they they understood what they achieved um and I think as well it really comes back to the leadership isn't it and understanding um you know, does your do your engineers understand the why and are you communicating it correctly? And then as well, like Sam was saying, it's like making sure that um, you can get the resources that you need. Um, and then that obviously is as leaders of the dev teams, CTOs, like being able to really, you know, highlight and emphasize the importance of these resources and these parts of the processes um, to get the outcome of, of what they ideally want that, that you can really kind of make it clear what's needed. Um, there's so many interesting points here um, guys it's an incredible conversation it really really is I think we should nearly do um, you know a second episode <laughs> of this because <laughs> we are yeah, has one, anyone one. we should do this yeah <laughs> exactly yeah we got to do a one <laughs> yeah we, sh- we definitely should do a QA one I think um, it's what's what comes out of these podcasts is um, you know a lot of that has come up quite a lot and I can see a lot of things happening in the industry um in the market at the moment that yeah that's that's something that is kind of being cut off hard um does everyone does everyone have a hard cut off at 11 or are we okay to run a few no, minutes over run. Um, yeah. I, I actually unfortunately I do have a very important 11? thing okay that I've been... that's all good pushing for at 11 so i, I, I do have to cut damn i do have to actually cut but i would love to shauna can we do like step can we do episode two step, soon? yeah absolutely if everyone wants to jump on we'll keep the same three panelists we could do that uh well i'd love to continue on um so you know what does anyone else want to add anything else quickly before we go on this one um there's, oh, there's just one thing i wanted to add um go for yourself. uh well, something because something I don't uh, something I think is extremely important as you know, someone the leaders have to act as the role models for the values that they they want their teams to follow. Yeah. Um, and you know, like coming back to work life balance as the example, you, you you've got to be the one that's you know monitoring your teams and saying you know don't work too many hours, and then making sure that you're also following that example. Um, you know if otherwise you send the wrong message mixed messages you know if you're if you're messaging people at 11 o'clock at night and you know that you're that's just seen as normal practice yeah. then you're not enshrining <laughs> work-life balance it's, as a culture it's it's yeah. it's a really it's a really tough one i've struggled with that exact point a few times because i i like again another good book leaders eat last right and and mm-hmm. it's like 
I would never ask one of my crew to work long hours or do anything if I wasn't prepared to do it myself. And so there's a little bit of, I need to be working harder than my crew to do it. But that's a terrible example. You, you, you're right. You need to show them that you're taking self-care and taking the time that you need and having time off. And, and getting off talking about an interesting, fun podcast with interesting, fun people when you're supposed to be taking your daughter to the museum. Um. <laughs> <laughs> this is brilliant. Exactly. That's, that, um, that's an action. <laughs> Awesome. All right. Well, guys, like I said, um, definitely stay tuned. I think we'll be having a second series of this pretty incredible cultural strategy um, podcast. Um, but I think that's it for today. So thanks so much for tuning in. And we'll wrap up this incredible Evenish Exchange series on culture and strategy. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs>